The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I know it's probably too late for me. I made my peace with that. I need to know before I die that if my children find themselves in this unenviable position, that this nation that I proudly serve will respect their liberties and the right to make their own decision about their medical treatments. Thank you for having me. God bless. Matt Bellina is a father of three boys and a former U.S. naval aviator. In 2017, he testified at a congressional hearing to advocate for dying patients who want access to experimental drugs. At that point, his speech was slightly slurred by his Lou Gehrig's disease. It's a fatal condition with no treatment. It destroys the nerve cells and the muscles they control. Slowly, every part of the body stops working. Letting patients like Matt who have no other options, use these experimental medicines. Seems like it should be easy. But it's not that straightforward. And the critics, the people who oppose making them widely available, aren't always who you would expect. Welcome to Prognosis, a podcast about innovation in medicine and science. I'm your host, Michelle Faye Cortez. And today we're going to explore what people do when they're desperate for a chance to try an unapproved drug. You want to say something? Here, go ahead. What do you want to say? He say yes. All right. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Laura McGlynn is another American who wants access. Not for herself, but for her son, Jordan. You just heard him in a clip from a few years ago, asking lawmakers to make it easier. He has Duchenne muscular dystrophy, a genetic disease that erodes the growing muscles of young boys and eventually hits the heart and lungs. The average life expectancy is 26. Jordan was diagnosed when he was almost four. And at that time, um, he was diagnosed at our local hospital in Indianapolis, which is a pretty big, well-known children's hospital. But we left there pretty much with no hope. The doctor told us basically this was a fatal disease, no cure, uh, probably nothing even coming up through the pipeline that would happen in Jordan's lifetime. It turns out the doctors were wrong. Fast forward now, I mean, Jordan is nine and a half, and I think um, there are more than 40 uh, drugs actually in the investigational stages for his disease. So a lot's happened in such a short time with the science. First, a little background. The easiest way to get access to an experimental drug is in a clinical trial. But many people can't participate in trials. They may be too sick or too young. For them, there's something called compassionate use. It's an official program regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. But that's also difficult to navigate. There's paperwork, and you need the FDA's and the drug company's blessing. And it's possible the drug company may not give it. 
there's too much risk. Enter right to try. This is the law that Laura McGlynn and Matt Bellina fought for. Its main difference? It cuts out the FDA. Instead, the doctor directly asks the company for a drug. The patients take on all the risk and make their own decisions. But they do still need to get the drug company to go along with it. I'm not going to lie. I mean, when I started this journey, all I could think about was my one, my Jordan. Jordan got lucky. He was accepted into a clinical trial. But Laura didn't give up her fight for right to try. She did it for the other boys. And because the Duchenne community is so close, she's seeing firsthand what happens to those who can't get into trials. We want our boys to access uh, experimental treatments through a clinical trial. Unfortunately, for example, Jordan, he's one of 16 boys in North America that are able to try the drug that he's trying. While I watch many of my friends who have sons who are amendable to the same drug who can't access the drug because they don't qualify for the trial. And so their sons are basically, you know, um, continuing to progress through this disease, which is a muscle wasting disease. And they're losing muscle function, and it's, it's truly heartbreaking. Mike Smith, a New York attorney, also wants better access to medicines. So now I grew up on Long Island, uh, New York, in a town called Syosset. Um, basically had a, up until I was 15, frankly, had a perfectly normal and um, uneventful um, childhood. That's sort of changed on uh, Black Monday, the day of the stock market uh, crash on October 19th, 1987. The day started with Mike scoring a goal in a soccer game during his gym class. The opposing goalie didn't take it well. He punched Mike in the chest and kicked him in the lower right side. He immediately fell ill. It was the start of a long and harrowing health odyssey. It took five years just to get a diagnosis. And we were starting to identify that I had a um, disease or disorder called chronic intestinal pseudo-obstruction. It is an extreme spastic disorder of the digestive tract. I'd be sitting in a high school classroom, for example, and get a sensation as if my stomach was being tied into a shoelace knot. You know, and ever since, I really have never been able to take eating or even drinking for granted. Essentially, his digestive tract stopped working. For several years, he couldn't eat at all. He relied on artificial nutrition. And then, thankfully, new drugs came along. He could eat again. But the two treatments were pulled from the market in the U.S. because of potential side effects, but not in Europe. Mike was back to square one. Now here's the thing. Even under right to try, he might not get the drugs that he knows work for him. Because, technically, it's only for people with the terminal diagnosis. And Mike's condition isn't that simple. You know, in the span of my condition at this point, is it chronic and debilitating? Yes, absolutely. Can we say fairly on a day-to-day basis? Is it life-threatening? I'm not a doctor. It's not for me to determine whether or not it's life-threatening. But who should make that call? Should patients like Mike have access? Over the past five years, more than 40 states passed right-to-try laws. Those efforts culminated in the federal legislation in 2018. It was a rare bipartisan achievement. Pushed by Vice President Mike Pence, right-to-try won support in both houses of Congress. It was touted by President Donald Trump in his first State of the Union address. He signed it into law in May 2018. But this is such a great name. From the first day I heard it, 
It's so perfect. Right to try. And a lot of that trying is going to be successful. I really believe that. I really believe it. Ibrahim Del Passand is also a believer. More importantly, he's the medical director at Houston's Excel Diagnostics. He's also an expert in nuclear medicine. That means he uses radioactive materials to diagnose and treat patients. Hey, Michelle. Hi. Oh, here we go. We're, we're working now. Okay, very good. So uh, you mentioned... That- Dr. Del Passand is the doctor who has most publicly embraced Right to Try. He felt he had no other option. There was a drug he wanted to give his patients, a form of radiation for neuroendocrine cancer that had been used in Europe for years, but it wasn't approved in the U.S. Steve Jobs, the late founder of Apple, went to Switzerland to get it. But that's not something that most Americans can do. How sick were these patients? I mean, a majority of these patients that uh, I treated, they had a stage four cancer, which means that uh, the the cancer has already spread throughout the body and involved uh, different organs such as liver, such as lymph nodes, such as bone, lungs. A majority of these patients, they were expecting to live uh, between uh, three to 12 months max. Meanwhile, there were positive reports out of Europe. American patients were reading them, and they wanted the drug. There's a twist here. The treatment isn't a pill. It's a radioactive isotope that has to be carefully built in a lab. And Dr. Del Passant just happens to be also the CEO of a company who has the equipment to make it. So he got permission from the U.S. regulators and the company that owned the rights to the therapy and ramped up production. In that way, I was able to actually provide this necessary treatment to my patients, uh, and they were um, able to get this treatment in U.S. and in Houston versus uh, instead of going across the ocean to Europe. Dr. Del Passand initially had FDA approval to give the drug to his patients, but in April 2015, the agency told him he was interfering with efforts to get the treatment approved. So at that point, basically, I noted that, you know, I have to stop treating patients because uh, it's going to be illegal for me to continue treatment. Fortunately for his cancer patients, a right to try law was passed at the state level in Texas two months later. And as a result of this uh, right to try law, I was able to, uh, to treat 178 patients until the drug became approved and commercially available in February of 2018. A study of the drug used by Dr. Del Passand showed that patients lived for an average of 30 months without their cancer progressing. That compared to less than nine months for those given standard care. The doctor got letters from his patients thanking him for his efforts. I asked him to read me excerpts from one. Here it says that uh, when I was diagnosed, uh, my daughter was just graduating high school and my son just finished his first year in college. I have seen both of them graduate college and settle into their chosen professions. I also have seen each one fall in love with wonderful people. I own a business and my family did not have to sell it. All this from the hard work of people devoted to helping with the serious challenges in someone's life and being assisted by the common sense right to try law. It's, it's just amazing. I think this is the best payday for when, when you read something from a 
patience from a human being uh, is just uh, is just priceless. Right to Try has now been the law of the land on a national level for about six months. I have to be honest. I tried really hard to find patients, any patients, who've gotten an experimental medicine under the federal law. No luck so far. Some patients and families were very candid with me, saying they would never tell if they were getting treatment under Right to Try. There's too much risk of a backlash. And if you're getting the drug, there's absolutely no benefit to going public. Eventually, we will find out if anyone's getting treatment under Right to Try. The companies have to send the FDA a report once a year telling the agency about any medicines they provided under the law. We still don't know exactly when that will be. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Not everyone agrees that dying patients should have unfettered access to unapproved drugs. Experimental medicines are precious and unpredictable things. You have to be careful with both. When the medicines do work, when they really are going to save lives, proving their efficacy in scientific studies has to be the priority. Controlled clinical studies are also the best way to protect patients from harm, even death, when they don't work. I was surprised about who's opposed to Right to Try. The law's backers believe that cancer patients will really benefit. Otis Browley is the chief medical officer of the American Cancer Society. He spoke to me from his office in Atlanta, where a fire alarm went off while we were talking. I have come to realize that there truly is something worse than dying from cancer. I've seen people suffer getting drugs for treatment and then not have benefit. I have seen, even in standard practice, people who were tortured because of treatment. I just don't want to see that um, ever again. Dr. Browley is concerned that the right to try law will exploit people who have no other options. One of the problems with people who are in this situation, I've talked to many of them, is sometimes I fear that they see too much hope in the drug and don't really appreciate what we're talking about in terms of harms. Keep in mind, I'm somebody who wants these people to be able to have access to these drugs uh, if they are well-informed and understand. My problem is I know a large number of people are not well-informed and understand. Dr. Browley's point was that sometimes hope can be misleading. Most medicines don't make it through. Is that correct? It is absolutely correct. Most of the medicines that we have theoretic belief that it's going to be beneficial for cancer, so much belief that we actually start clinical trials in those drugs uh, to figure out if they work and figure out if they improve uh, 
outcome. We find that most of those drugs actually fail. So most people who are going to be getting these drugs through Right to Try uh, are going to get drugs that aren't going to work. But some undoubtedly will work. And that creates another problem. Companies are focused on developing medicines for big groups of people who suffer from a disease. In the early days, they can't make big batches, just enough for studies. And the drugs can be hard to make. It's a particular problem at small biotech companies that are often the engine of innovation. They work on tighter budgets and are more vulnerable to mishaps. Typically, patients are very sick, and giving away treatment to a single patient under right to try could jeopardize the entire research effort if something goes wrong. If someone is taking one of these drugs and they're not in an established clinical trial where people can learn about that uh, experience on the drug, then you're actually slowing down the development of the drug for everybody else. Uh, It really is selfish. It's not a theoretical risk. Some companies have trouble enrolling early-stage studies, known as Phase 1 and Phase 2. Allowing some patients to have the experimental drug without participating in a trial could make the process harder. I really want people to go into those Phase 1 and Phase 2 clinical trials and really try to help us move cancer medicine forward as expeditiously and as efficiently as possible. Dr. Browley isn't against patients getting fast access to promising new drugs. He just wants to capture all the information possible about how they work, preferably in a monitored setting. And he wants to protect the patients who are taking experimental drugs from unintended harm. Remember, before Right to Try, terminally ill patients could get experimental drugs under the FDA's Compassionate Use Program, which is also known as Expanded Access. In recent years, it's approved more than 99% of applications. FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb is a fan of expanded access. Right to try? Mm, Not so much. He declined to talk to us for this podcast, but he did testify before Congress about the topic in 2017. Right now, our expanded access program is generally available um, for patients facing uh, life-threatening conditions and, and terminal illness. The agency has gotten even more vigilant at, at trying to to move these things through the agency in a, in a um, efficient fashion and approve these. The FDA also has access to information that no single doctor or patient has. It knows if complications cropped up with earlier use of the drug or with similar medicines. Such side effects aren't always immediately disclosed. The FDA's guidance can help make sure experimental drugs are used safely. Drug makers have the last word on their medicines. And it's tempting to point the finger at pharmaceutical companies that say no to a desperate patient. But it's more complicated than that. Drug makers have been grappling with these requests for years. Johnson & Johnson's chief medical officer, Joanne Waldstriker, says it's one of the hardest and most heartbreaking parts of her job. Sometimes before we know everything about our products, in advance of getting approvals from the health authorities like the FDA, before they even get to see the data on the product, we sometimes get requests for our products from patients and families around the globe who have exhausted all other options for treatment. There's a long list of issues the company has to consider when evaluating requests. 
Is there enough medicine available? Will giving it to one patient make it harder to enroll others in clinical trials? If J&J gets more requests than the available supply, who gets the drug and who doesn't? And if things go wrong and a fragile patient dies, will that put the drug's entire development in jeopardy? We have to weigh the need of an individual person and family who's requesting access versus the needs of society, versus our, our obligation to society and to public health. And that is a real bioethic challenge that we face. And you can imagine if a person is enrolled in a clinical trial and they have the chance of getting either the drug or the placebo, it may not be fair to that person if we decide to give access to someone else outside of the clinical trial setting just because they asked and they're not going into a study where they have a chance of getting either drug or placebo. Hanging over the entire issue is fairness. Some families and patients have the wherewithal to create powerful social media campaigns to shame companies or to try to force them to make an experimental medicine available, especially for children. But if there's one child who needs an experimental drug, there are likely more. We have to treat people in clinical trials fairly, but also we want to treat people in all different socioeconomic circumstances fairly. If we get a request of someone who's a public figure, someone who's in the government, someone who's very wealthy, we want to be sure we're treating those requests the same as people who have a need who may not be in those circumstances. We want to treat everyone fairly. And so that's why this is such a challenging uh, issue for us. So the company decided to bring in outside experts to help deal with all of these issues. In 2015, we approached the Division of Medical Ethics at the NYU School of Medicine to really help us think this through. Instead of physicians like myself at Johnson & Johnson reviewing every request and then having individual teams try to juggle and make this difficult bioethical decision in terms of whether to provide the product, the requests go to this group called the Compassionate Access Group, COMPAC. You know, I feel very strongly that people who have such important medical needs and who are in such urgent situations should have a level of control over what happens to them. And I sympathize and I understand that they want to be able to access experimental medicines. But on the other hand, at a time like that when you're desperate to try anything, it's a time when expert input really can help make a difference. Of course, J&J &J is an outlier. It's the biggest healthcare company in the world, with unmatched resources. Clearly not every company can afford to do what it does, but it is a start. Right to Try has put the FDA and the industry on notice that the immediate needs of patients must be taken into account. Laura McGlynn, the woman we met at the beginning of this episode, is taking it day by day. Her son Jordan is enrolled in a clinical trial, but she believes one day he'll need other medicines, and that's why she keeps fighting. I feel proud to know that, you know, my son played a part in helping create this additional pathway. So rather Jordan is able to access better treatments in the future through clinical trials, through um, compassionate use, through right to try, through maybe, you know, an FDA approved drug. Um, I'm just glad to know that there are options available. And to those who feel like right to try is a shortcut, a form of cutting in line that could hurt someone else. 
I don't let my mind go there as far as thinking about what's fair or not fair. If a life is saved or if someone has a chance to try to save their own life and they want to, I don't care. It's one life at a time. And that's, to me, that's what matters. And that's it for this week's prognosis. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story about healthcare in the U.S. or around the world? We want to hear from you. You can email me, mcortez at bloomberg.net, or find me on Twitter, at Cortez. If you were a fan of this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us. It helps new listeners find the show. This episode was produced by Lindsay Cradowell. Our story editor was Cecile Durant. Thanks also to Drew Armstrong. Francesca Levy is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.